Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. Sitting across from me on the couch today, longtime friend, Gil Costello. Welcome to the show. What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Man. Stoked to be here. We were talking before we started recording today about the last time that we had seen each other, because it's been a minute, Mm -hmm. uh, like a long time. Yeah, and I think we concluded that it was at my show. Yes, it was at your... Was that your big, like, return to Nashville? Yeah. Because, I mean, you never left, but, like, you returned to the stage. Yeah, I... Would play like tribute shows and stuff like that at Basement East. Like I think the last time that I played on stage before that was in 2021. We did like a Nashville or we did like a Nirvana unplugged thing Mm -hmm. where we covered the whole album. And that was at Basement East like right after the pandemic. So that was my last time being on stage, but it's not really my music. Wow. And my last time playing like all originals of my music was in 2019. So did you just need, need a break from the chase of playing shows? Yeah. I think that, um, it's good sometimes to take a step back to appreciate it again, because you can get to a point where it becomes work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it totally does. And that's makes it way easier to burn out. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just a different approach to playing music. Those are like career musicians and stuff like that. And um, I think that for me, I had also just gotten promoted at uh, OG Basement mm-hmm. to book the room. And I wanted to make sure that I gave that the attention that it really needed. Because uh, that place really benefits from having someone focused on it. And I had a lot to learn really quickly. Right. So I wanted to make sure that that was like priority number one. And then when I kind of got like the dial everything dialed in like I just got to a point this year it all stemmed from a couple conversations really like I saw a friend of mine uh Justin Collins who plays in shout out yeah Justin in the Cosmics we were talking at Soft Junk which is a DIY venue in Nashville about um I was like, yeah, man, I used to do that. You know, I, I used to play all the time, but now I'm just like too jaded. Mm-hmm. And Scott was, or Justin was like, dude, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's a bullshit word that people hide behind. It is bullshit, but it's also a little true because you do feel it, like, especially working the back end like you do. So before we get too far, I want to clarify Gil Costello, you are the talent buyer, or one of the talent buyers for the basement and the basement east, correct? Correct. So I pretty much, I do the booking, production advancing, social media, ticketing. Everything. Pretty much everything <laughs> artist facing at OG Basement. Gotcha. And that's been like the last two years, ever since like the pandemic lifted in 2021, I came back to work. Um, and, and what year was it you started at the basement? I started as a door guy at the Basement East in November of 2017. Okay. Um, So there's a good chance that you would have been at, I guess, work the night that I played New Faces Night in 2019. No, because at that point, I think we still had John. Well, what what month was it? It was October 2019. I don't know if John was still in town. Yeah, I played New Faces Night then, but uh, I remember... 
at some point, it was after you and I had become a little bit better friends, I asked you if there was like comments about that show. And you told me you went back and looked at it and it said no remarkable bands played. And I was like, oh, ah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I told you what the note said. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> I think in 2019, it was probably John working door. John was a door guy at Basement OG. Okay. For like eight or nine years. And he worked That's Tuesday till Friday or Monday till Friday. He was one of the longest running employees that they've ever had. Wow. Shout out to John Stout. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't seen him in a long time. In the pandemic, he kind of took off. He was uh, in the process of getting approved to be a park ranger. And he bought a van and just dipped to the West Coast. Wow. Yeah. So we miss him, though. let's see. You moved to Murfreesboro in 2009. Mm-hmm. What was that for school? Did you go to MTSU? Yes. What did you study there? I studied music business. Um, they have a really good recording industry department. That they have a fantastic. I've actually recorded in uh, those studios there. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But do uh, you study music business? Mm-hmm. You always wanted to be in the the business side of it. I like discovered that that was a thing in high school. Okay. I would always play in bands, and I was passionate about music. Played guitar and stuff like that. Um, but when I was a senior in high school. I took an academy course, mm-hmm. which means that I like left the school at lunchtime, went to a different high school where I took a music computer technology class. That's cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, and a lot of kids that were in surrounding high schools that were passionate about music wound up in this class. And the teacher was really um, passionate about not only teaching us music theory, that was like kind of his expertise was like symphonic composition and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and music theory and um he was also really enlightening about the fact that it's not just you know a band on stage there is a music manager who helps facilitate their connections in their career there is a booking agent that set up every single show on this tour there's like music publishing i had no idea that like Katy perry didn't write her own songs (laughs) and i was like oh commercial songwriting like wow there's like all these that, I guess that was the first time that I realized how deep and how vast the music industry is. Right. There's so many ways you can, like, quote, be in the business. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons it's really cool that we get to live here and do this, because we couldn't do this in almost any other place. There's like, a select few places that have the institutions around them. There's music everywhere, but in I terms guess to of, the capacity, yeah. that you get to do it. Yeah. From the venue side of things, it's nice to see like little places pop up or continue to exist or just exist in random places that you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. Um, the Norva would be a good example. Like, uh, it's not new by any means, but it's in Norfolk, Virginia, which is not a music community. Well, actually, it used to be. That's where like Timbaland and Missy Elliott and Eddie oh, wow. are from, and. The Norva is like a very historic place that I've never been to, but 930 Club in D.C., I guess. And everyone has like these places from their hometown that they're like fond of. Right. And I guess, you know, for a lot of people, that's the basement in Nashville. There was a guy last night that was being really nice. He was like, as someone that's from here and grew up here, this is like a place that really needs to be preserved. And I was like, that's exactly why I'm here, man. Like, I'm fighting for this shit all the time. I'm really trying to stay 
engage with like the next generation of songwriters that are coming up and because you musicians. get to see them yeah. like when they're nobodies. Mm-hmm. So how has the, the I guess industry changed since you started like working in it and being I guess even adjacently part of it in 2009? How is how is it different from then? I would say the biggest difference is in 2009 Nashville was still very much a country music right. capital before it was music city. Mm-hmm. There was still an underground scene of different types of music and some of those bands would break through places like the end and uh exit in places like that were still rocking. Yep. OG basement, Mercy Lounge. Oh um, my good lord, the Mercy facility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, RIP. Yeah, I love that place so much. That was one of the first places. I did like an eight off eighth with a friend of mine. And I think at that time in Nashville, a lot of the industry players and the powers that be would try to shape you to fit that mold of country music. Like I worked with uh, an artist who is super successful now. His name's Sebastian Garcia goes by Rufio Mm -hmm. hooks. And I remember a lot of the times we would go out there and play the bluebird or writer's rounds at different places. And, um, People would be like, we love what you're doing, but we just don't really know what to do with it. Right. And we were making like very top 40, like Jason Derulo, Justin Bieber, like radio hits. Super, super pop. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the powers that be in like publishers and music managers, whoever, they just weren't really sure how to, they didn't, maybe they didn't have the connections. Maybe it just wasn't the right time for us, Um, but they would try to get us to write country music. They would be like, do you know anything about like country music? Maybe you could start going no. in that vein. And I'm like, yeah, we were really rebellious to so about a truck and a bar stool and whiskey. Yeah. And I don't really, I grew up in like the DC area in Northern okay. Virginia and my friend Sebastian grew up in New Jersey. So it's kind of like, we don't really know anything about that, but in retrospect, I wish we had been a little bit more open-minded because the next wave of music that came through was bro country. And if we had just put our egos aside and like started writing country music, right. we would have fit right in that market and possibly could have ridden that wave. It's kind of one of those things. It's like, I'm really happy to see the underground scene becoming less underground here. Yeah, It's way more mainstream yeah. now to come see non country acts playing. Like, I mean, Taylor Swift is obviously like she was was country and she is Nashville, but mm-hmm. nothing about the music she's doing now is country. No, she branched out from that, I think, a long time ago. It kind of seems like her roots are in that genre of music, and she definitely has a lot of the troubadour like ethos, mm-hmm. you know, of like writing her own music and coming to her first deal with like 400 songs written or whatever <laughs> it was. And I think that some of the like Nashville is a very hardworking town. Even the people that become really successful here, I think maintain a lot of that discipline. And I mean, she's a great example of someone that just used Nashville as a platform to skyrocket her right. to being the largest artist in the world right now. And she may not have as much country music in her like repertoire now, but I feel like there is something still about the way that she does things that again, just like the work ethic and like grinding and Oh my God, no kidding. Mm -hmm. And I think a a good point to that is that she also still seems to really like 
care about the people that have helped get her to where she is. So, Absolutely. And I mean, even down to like the people who are working, like, did you see that she gave away, like, what was it, a hundred thousand dollars or something to every truck driver? Which who knows how many truck drivers she has on that tour. <laughs> Tons, dozens, like, probably. The largest grossing tour maybe in history. Um, she was also really generous to Grimey's when Grimey's mm-hmm. had to close for COVID. She so tell us what uh, what happened there because I know the story, but the she donated might a not. lot of money to Grimey's to pay for um, like health insurance, rent, employees' salaries. It was enough to like keep them through the pandemic wow. without being able to be open. And, and this is Grimey's, the record store. The record if you, store. If you do correct. not live here and know what that is, yeah, Grimey's is the record store, which is now in Trinity Lane. And after that, I was like, I'll literally never hear another bad word about this person. Right. You because know, some people love to shit on her because she's famous. And I'm like, famous people do like altruistic things to look like this is good PR for me. But I honestly believe she's doing it because she actually gives a shit. And regardless of her motivation, like it directly impacted a member of the community that I care very much about. Right. You know, and like a sister business of the OG basement directly. So it's like... No, I mean, I won't hear anything bad about her ever again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People love to talk down on stuff like that, but man, she really does seem to care. hundred percent. Which is why I love this town because you really start to meet the people who care so much about their communities. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, we won't name names, a lot of people in the industry here who don't care or mm. give, I guess, give it like a bad name because controversy, whatever, but there are, there's good people out there. I think the thing that's great about Nashville is like the good outnumber the bad. Mm -hmm. Like you're much better off trying to network in a city like this than maybe some of the competing cities. Um, just because people are so ready to accept you. Right. You know, and ready to help show you the things that they've learned and, I didn't um, feel that way when I visited LA before I moved to Nashville because I tried Los Angeles first. Mm-hmm. And it's like people didn't care. I've never been there. to LA. And the thing that fascinates me about LA is how like strong people's opinions are. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. one's neutral. No one's like, oh, it was okay. Everyone's like, it's the most beautiful place. The weather's perfect at the time of my life. Or like, I hated it. Yep, I did not like it. Didn't make any friends, and people are shitty, and I am curious to experience it for myself. But that's the type of place that I think I would want to spend like a month. And then be gone. Yeah, possibly. (laughs) Well, who knows if I wind up liking it, but um, I think if you spend like a week in a place like that, you're not really getting... That's a good point. That's like someone coming to Nashville for a week and being like, I saw everything. Like, You're like, okay, so you saw the 50 Broadway bars and then you ate at milk and honey and you're like, it's this great local (laughs) coffee place. (laughs) You saw the top 10 things to do in Nashville, according to Google, but those aren't the actual top 10 things to do here. It's weird. You know, that's another thing I think that's changed a lot since moving here is we're talking about tourists before. And that's like a segment of the population of the city now that you can like market towards. Yeah. Like you, you can, can try to, before. you can try to bring the tourists into your place. And that was never really like that prevalent before. Like there was always tourism. There was always right. Broadway. People would come visit, but it was never so rowdy. And 
like I I wouldn't call it like a destination city until the last like 13 years or so, like around 2010. Well, maybe even a little bit after that, it started really getting crazy. 2015, 16, it got insane. It seems like people come here deliberately to get as drunk as they can. Absolutely. It's like blackout city for sure. Um, the bachelorettes, you know, that's another thing that's changed a lot. Um, when I started working at Basement East, it would be pretty rare for someone to just like walk up off the street and be mm-hmm. like, think they're on Broadway and be like, what is this? Um, but now I'll be in the office and it'll happen pretty often. There's actually a walking tour of East Nashville now. Really? Yeah. And the Beast is on there? The Beast is on there because we have an I Believe in Nashville mural. Wow. And they mention the tornado and they take their picture and... I see them at like around noon every day. Man. I'm like always smoking a cigarette <laughs> at noon every day when they like walk by. And they're like, and here is a Nashville music industry person. Everybody wave hi to Gil. And then you knew. just raise your hand with your cigarette and you're like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> so what's it like booking for uh, such a iconic venue or a pair of venues in Nashville? Because there's so many places to play, but so many of them now are brand spanking new. But you're mm-hmm. part of the, uh, I don't even, I don't want to call it old school venue scene, but you're part of the like old school venue scene here, man. What's I, it like working for that? It's truly an honor. And I try to treat it that way. Like, I know how important that room is for the ecosystem because it's so small that a lot of the bands that become the Taylor Swifts and, you know, Keith Urban's of the world, they start in a room like that. You can't start selling 75,000 tickets. You can, but... <laughs> you got it. It's easier to start selling 150. I would say that 99% of the time it starts in a room like that. It can start bigger. And actually, some bands are skipping that step altogether and right. just going straight to Basement East. And that's definitely always been a thing. You know, you can skip steps along the way if you have a great product and like a great team behind it. They can just make that happen for you, which is kind of crazy. Um but I do think that even still, OG Basement is proving ground for the bigger rooms. Right. You know, a lot of people really want that credential of selling it out. Um, and it's harder than a lot of people think. It's only 150 capacity. It was my first sellout. Hell yeah. And it was your first show in the room, right? It was my first show in the room and we sold it out. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it was. That was I mean, I have a special connection to that room because it was the first venue I ever attended in Nashville. Really? And then I wanted to play there and then I wanted to sell a show out there. And it's those sequential things. You're know, like, I am part of this machine. Mm-hmm. Like, I am part of the Nashville scene. And it's cool getting to see and be part of the growth of your friends. And you're like, man, you sold... 10 tickets the first time you were mm-hmm. here or turning your friends came to new faces night and you just sold 150 tickets. Like good for you, dude. Like that's awesome. Getting to see the people we care about actually grow. That's the most fulfilling part, I think. And it's not like financial. It's not, it's more related to just like fulfillment, watching someone that has been like honing their craft and putting in work and trying their best to make everything happen Seeing that happen for them, man, that's a great feeling. It's it's like one of those full circle things where you recognize someone's talent and you're just so excited and you're just like, it's just going to be a matter of time before people catch on. Do you remember any on. 
show that you had booked or lineup that you had booked there that was in, in, in your mind, you're like, fuck, I, I did a good one tonight. Like one of those first like big lineups that you were part of taking care of. Was there a, a landmark show? Yeah. And it happened really early on. Um, I accepted the position of talent buyer in December of 2019. And um, how long had you worked there before? About a year and a half. Two years? Yeah, it started okay. in no- November of 2017, so like two years. Accepted the job in December of 2019, so right before the pandemic. Okay. And um, one of my first shows in the room was Arts Fishing Club, Kate Vogel, and Smart Objects. Cool. And it sold out. That's awesome. Yeah, it was probably like my fifth or sixth show in the room. Wow. And I was like, oh, shit. You're like, I can do this. I actually <laughs> think I got this. Holy shit. Um, was grimy impressed new talent buyer selling out a room i don't know if they were being like um because proud it's a, maybe well it's an average right you can have success but can you have multiple successes mm-hmm. can you have consistency consistency is more important than um just individual shows doing well because if you put a lot of focus into a show it, it's probably going to do well hopefully it's going to do well um but if you can man- maintain that for two shows a night, seven days a week, right? That's really what they're looking for. That's a lot. I'm sure I got props. You know, like I'm sure yeah. they're like, "Oh, good job," or you know, mm-hmm. they're usually pretty enthusiastic. Honestly, when things go well, right? And I, th- I guess probably more than anything, it started instilling a level of trust that he had given unto you, and it was mm-hmm. like validating that he had trusted you to do that. Yeah, I try to just always validate that feeling for them. You know, when I interviewed for the job, I was like, I have been waiting for an opportunity like this mm-hmm. for a long fucking time. And if you if you decide that I'm the right fit, I will make you so fucking proud. Had you expressed interest before that that you had wanted? Like when you were hired as a door guy, you were like, I would like to someday book shows here. Didn't really think about it in those terms. I knew that I liked working at venues. Gotcha. I knew that I loved working in the basement in the basement East, but I didn't really see myself booking shows there until the opportunity became available. Um, you Was know, I'm doing the majority of the talent buying back then. Actually, when I started working door at OG basement, okay. OG basement, there were uh, four people booking the room. There was grimy, uh, our talent buyer at live nation, Richard Slovin, our um, production manager, Maddie Freeman, had a really good finger on the pulse and could pepper in great shows from time mm-hmm. to time. And uh, Terry, gotcha, who's now booking at Brown's Diner. Um, Richard moved on to Live Nation. Grimy kind of had his hands full with Grimy stuff, OG Basement stuff, and Basement East. Uh, Maddie, you know, she was great at what she did, but she really only put in a couple shows a month nothing crazy like she wasn't responsible for the calendar Mm -hmm. she just could book shows there and did book shows there and shout out to maddie freeman because every time that she booked a band at og basement it was always great right so every that was like a great resource in the early stages was like oh if maddie did it like it's definitely gonna do well Mm -hmm. it's definitely gonna be cool it's definitely gonna be something that i should check out um she moved on to tiktok okay after the pandemic um, so I was kind of like the last person on the Island, you know, Terry had moved on to Brown's diner. Um, everyone had their sights set on basement East 
and no one was focused on the OG basement. Um, so there was just a vacancy. There was a void. And I, again, I really feel like that place benefits from having someone invested in it and passionate about it. And, and you, you know, cared deeply about the mm-hmm. room. And I'd made a lot of friends working the door there. Um, you get to meet a lot of cool people doing this too. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, there's not many other jobs where you can just email a successful band or a successful band's manager and they'll actually get back to you. True. It's one of the few positions that you and I can be in to reach out and actually maybe talk to Casey Musgraves or whatever. Because, I mean, I met Casey at the basement. Yeah. That was, it was November 17th, 2021. I remember it because. What show was that? That was a tour stop night. I remember it because it was during our, whatever it was, three-week residency we did Mm -hmm. in 2021 that fall. But she had come to see uh, Jefferson, a funk band. Nice. Jefferson is sick. Shout out to Jefferson. Shout out Jefferson with a V. Let's see you again at OG Basement, Jefferson, if you're listening. Like that, that's a great artist. That was a great show. (laughs) But I walked in and I walked up to my buddy and I was like, dude. There's this smoking hot chick outside. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go talk to her. And my buddy goes, <laughs> "You should do that." And I was like, "Why? Why are you laughing at me?" He goes, "Bro, you can't talk to. You can't ask for her number. You can't talk to her. That's Casey Musgraves." And I was like, "Oh, oh." You didn't recognize her? Not immediately. No, it was dark. But Fair enough. I walked outside and I was like, "Nope, I can't go ask for her number." She is truly the most beautiful person to see in real life. Yeah. Shout out to Casey Musgraves. Shout out to Casey Musgraves. <laughs> she really is. Uh, yeah, that's one of the perks of working the door, I think, is you do get to like shake hands with people and have that's conversations cool. with people and have moments where you're like, I can't believe I'm talking to the bass player for the early November. That was right. a band that I listened to growing up quite a bit. And um, I can't believe I'm like getting drunk with him at Red Door afterwards. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> Who are some of the other cool folks? You don't have to go list them all off because I'm sure there's dozens, but who are some that really stuck out to you as being like, damn, I can't believe I get to meet like James Hetfield. I met Robert Trujillo, who's the bass player for Metallica. He came to see his son who played a New Faces Night. His son is in a band called Otto. Okay. We just had them back recently. And um, Metallica actually played a secret show at The Basement. It was in like 09 or something? 2008. Yeah. They recorded it too. It's called Live at Grimey's, but it was actually recorded in the basement. And it was like the coolest thing to see Robert Trujillo show up to the OG basement and be like, where's Grimey? I'm like, oh shit, dude. He'll be here in a little bit. (laughs) And Grimey comes and like, they're like catching up like they're old college buds. And I'm like, dude, Grimey, you're pretty fucking cool, man. (laughs) That's the bass player from Metallica. Who's like one of the, one of the biggest bands ever, ever. And you're just talking to him just like like he's your bud. He asked where you were. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Well, hey, let's take a quick commercial break. I've got a bajillion more things I want to talk about, but we'll come right back with Gil Costello on the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. back with the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast, Gil Costello, talent buyer and musician sitting on the couch in front of me. 
Gil. Thank you for coming on the pod today. Thanks for having me. So Gil is the talent buyer at the basement in the basement east here in Nashville. And for those of you listening who may not be familiar with the terminology, talent buyers like Gil, concert promoters like myself and booking agents, we all kind of do the same thing for booking music, but kind of from a different perspective. Right. So uh, me as a concert promoter, I get to book my shows sometimes at your venue. But could you just give a brief once over of what you as a talent buyer do for the basement in the basement? East? Sure. So um, I do booking, which is like the process of selecting a show to happen at a venue. Um, talent buying is a little bit different because it goes into like guarantees, mm -hmm. which is like a set amount of right. financial compensation for an artist's performance. My deals at the OG basement are door deals and my deals at basement East are door deals. So just Splits to get into ticket sales, correct? Yeah, to get into like the terminology for those of y'all that are reading up, like a door deal is, a certain percentage of ticket sales after a production fee usually. Mm -hmm. And, um, that can production vary. Fees vary venue to venue yeah. and day to day percentages very, vary between the artists, between the type of show that it is. Um, and yeah, that's, that's my role at OG basement. Another thing that I do at OG basement is I'm the production manager. Mm -hmm. So I handle the production advancing, which is communicating with the bands about, um, load in time and the house drum kit and set times and getting their stage plots, putting that in a Google drive so that our audio engineers can see it. Basically the technical elements of the performance are another thing that I do. Um, I also handle the social media, which is utilitarian <laughs> at OG basement. It's like this show is happening now. Now this show is just announced. This show is on sale now. Every now and then I'll pepper in something a little bit creative, but just to be frank, like the, I have it functional right. right now. It doesn't have much of a voice. It would be nice to maybe like expand that a little bit, but I only have a certain amount of bandwidth. And um, I don't want to sit and try to create funny TikToks or, or reels or Instagram posts. It's functional. It's utilitarian just to be like exactly the same reason I use Instagram also is because like this show is tomorrow. Yeah. I don't have the time to go interview all 16 people performing and be like, tell us about yourself. Like it's, a, it's too, I don't have enough bandwidth for that. I think social media is done best by people that are passionate about it right. and actually fulfilled by the content that they post and have a knack for it for the basements, social media. I don't really like have much of a voice for it. It's again, more functional. Um, people want to go to the Instagram for the basement OG and then see what lineup is happening that day. Cause it's mm -hmm. probably posted in the story. And then there's a pinned picture about the lineup that week or something. If you go to my personal Instagram, it's a completely different story. It's a mess. <laughs> yeah. That's, I guess where my voice comes in is like on my personal page. Cause I have a number of sagas running on my page, <laughs> the mystery stool, the mystery stool that shows up in every venue across the country. if you nice at Gil Costello, I got a highlight reel. So as the booker for these venues and the social media manager and the production manager and yada, 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 mm -hmm. I would love to know and talk with you about some of the things you look for in a band that is either one submitting to perform or mm -hmm. two that you are proactively going out and seeking out a lineup to build. Okay. When a band is pitching to me and I'm receiving the email, um, 
I would much rather read an email that was written for the basement for me rather than a MailChimp blast that you sent to 250 other I venues. Hate that shit. I truthfully don't read them. You know, <laughs> if I open an email and I see that it's like templated like that, I'm like, okay. A lot of email inboxes also already automatically know to filter those mass emails out. Like mine like get that. filtered into like uh, updates or whatever. So I don't even see them because it's also there with my like, you have a promo from sign.com. Like I always unsubscribe as soon as I get the first one. Unsubscribe. If you've ever been unsubscribed by me, like it's not personal. I just don't read that. Right. I would much rather see an email that you took 20 minutes maybe out of your day to send to me at the basement. Um, I'm looking for a specific date range. Like I'm trying to play between this date and this date. I'm looking for links to your social media and links to your music. If you're from out of town, um, do you have locals attached? Like, do you have like bands in town that you're trying to play with? Um, have you reached out to them? Don't lie either. Don't lie. Yeah, because I know most of them and like I can just <laughs> forward your email to them and ask if they're really interested. That happens a lot. You know, where a, a band from out of town will say, hey, um, we're trying to book this specific date with this specific band that draws great in Nashville. I'm like, OK, well, let me hit them up and make sure that this is something that they're aware of. And they're like, yeah, we're not really trying to play that. So don't lie. Like, don't just pull a band it's out of super your super easy to fact check. You know, it's one thing to be like, I would like to play with this band, but I've never talked to them or met them. <laughs> I would much appreciate that, you know, because I've talked to a lot of them and I don't right. mind putting you in touch. So people want to have these like special lineups. So a uh, date range, another big date big range thing is important just because it narrows down like what I have available. Um, at the OG basement, it's set up in a way that allows me to book a fuck ton of shows. Mm -hmm. It's two shows a night, seven days a week. New Faces Night, we have like seven bands. Yeah. On Sundays, we only do one show, but the rest and of the... And that's a longer show. Mm -hmm. That's a three-hour show. Basically, yeah. It's Well, it's flexible, too, because you have the whole night. Right. So if you wanted to do like a fest or something like that, like a Sunday would be a good day to do it. Um, but that's like a really important part of OG Basement's programming. And a little bit of insider baseball is like, that's like a secret part of the formula. Well, it's not even secret. That's just like an essential part of the right. formula because the ideal situation is you have an early show that does well and a late show that does well. Right. Then you're crushing it. But if one has to balance out the other, then you still kind of wind up in the middle. Mm -hmm. There are those nights where they both bomb and those are always unfortunate because you're trying to diversify the whole the whole night. You know, you're trying to bring in different crowds for, one group of artists here and then another group of artists here. And I know typically what works best in which format because I've done it a lot now. Um, so definitely like a good thing for bands like pitching to venues is like trust the person on the other end of it to know their room. You do this. You literally do this professionally. Mm -hmm. Don't <laughs> don't be like we need this. We can't accommodate or like, you know, you have to be unless you're Metallica. Yeah. Don't say that. <laughs> You know, and it limits what I can do to an extent because there are some bands that need a three hour sound check or they need hospitality and they need these things in order to feel fulfilled in their needs. And I understand that, but um, most of the things are very clearly outlined in my mm -hmm. show offers. 
um, read your show offers, people, because <laughs> everything's in there that you need. What 30, time sound check? Did you read the email? You don't get one. <laughs> like, if you read the email in the show offer, it says you load in at six o'clock, doors are at six thirty, the show starts at seven. Yep. And there's also like little notes about production, like you got to use house drums, no in ear monitors. Um, I tell artists all the time that like your drummers need to bring cymbals, snare, and I always tell them to have a hi hat clutch too. God bless you, dude. Every time, because it happened, <laughs> it happened once. Yeah. Where whatever I forget what venue it was, maybe it might have been something downtown, but for whatever reason, the hi hat clutch was gone, and then we just didn't have a hi hat for oh the artist. Oh my god, it's the worst! And they were pissed. Drummers, stop doing that. Stop stealing your hi hat clutches. Oh, uh, that's literally one of our biggest pet peeves. We have like <laughs> um some way of marking ours now. I think there's a sticker on it, but. Yeah, drum, I guess it's like a guitar pick. They just put it in their pocket and leave yep. the room. A drum, have a drum key in your have have three or four drum keys. Mm-hmm. Like I have guitar picks literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everything that I go with, like my guitar case, my wallet, my backpack, my they're like they're in my guitar amp. Like mm-hmm. they're everywhere. It's an essential that you have stuff like that because there's people who don't remember that. Hey, do you have do you have any strings? You're the guitar player. Oh my god! The thought Do you of have people a ask you for shit like that at uh, the basement. Yeah, 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 for sure, for <laughs> sure. Like, do you have a quarter inch cable? And it's like, yeah, we. Yeah, of course we're we do. A we're, venue. we're a venue. Yeah. <laughs> I had somebody ask me that on Thursday night. They're like, "Hey, I brought my own guitar, but do you have like cables?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I do. We, we do yeah. this professionally." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I would love to know your take on uh, different like data points. So if somebody is looking to play at b1 some the basement og on Mm -hmm. 8th avenue somebody wants to play and they're going to send you a bunch of information is there too much information to send or would you rather have a bunch of bunch of information relevant information that you can provide to a booker of a club is how many tickets you've sold in other clubs or areas nearby is there a golden number to, or not like a, a number account, but like a, would you rather know, like First I of, have X number of social media followings or I can sell this number of tickets on average, or is there anything that you would rather see? As it relates to ticket counts, it's a green flag because it shows that you're giving a shit about the results of your show and you're keeping a record of how your shows are doing. So it's like, that's a, that's an indicator to me that like, okay, this is someone that like is trying to at least, you know, improve upon what they're doing. Um, don't lie about your ticket sales. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> don't lie, period. Don't lie, period <laughs> is another thing. Um, for social media, I think I'm looking to see at a glance are any of my peers or friends in Nashville following you. Right. Truthfully. And because um, that's just it's that's like an indicator, but it's not. um it's not as concrete as a ticket sale count. Right. Like if One you, of the things that I look for is, uh, do I see them posting about their other shows? True. Because some of these people want to just have a really pretty aesthetic Instagram and look like influencers. I'm like, that's fine. But if, you, if you're posting about stuff, we, pe- me and you, mm-hmm. we see that. Yeah. We see that you give a shit and you want people to come. Because I think if you're never, ever, ever posting about your shows like the odds of you texting all of your friends 
are maybe possible, but I would say lesser. It's not really a good look to appear like you don't care or maybe that you just like are so precious about your social media presence that you don't care enough to just like do the bare minimum, which is announce that you're having a show. Um, that's a huge pet peeve of mine. And it's unfortunate because sometimes it's people that are really talented. It's people that have a lot of friends, right? But here's another thing. That's not always the most effective means of promotion, right? Social media is like, I would say the bare minimum. Um, but it's not the most effective, like old school promotion, going out to other people's shows and supporting them at the shows that they're playing, and embedding yourself in a community is going to return way more than a spend a spend at spamming um, people yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. Telling people that like, that's why I tell artists who play specialty shows, ticketed events with tour stop, whether they're with you or the listening room or wherever we do. It's like post a lot, post consistently, but text your friends one-on-one mm-hmm. go invite them personally that's much if they more feel effective. like you have a relationship with them they're going to be way more inclined to spend that five bucks ten mm-hmm. bucks whatever mm-hmm. and give you an hour and a half of their time but also here's a flip side of that now that i've been playing shows again i understand the fatigue that comes there along with that yeah you know of constantly having to find creative ways to promote shows is it's exhausting um but someone said something that has resonated and stuck with me. And I don't remember who said it, but it was a musician. And they said, as soon as I accepted the fact that I was constantly going to be the friend that's bugging you to come to their show, it became much easier for me to do that cool. and not feel bad about it. You know, it's like a part of self-acceptance is like, I'm not ashamed of what I have to say or what I have to do. Um, it's a part of who I am. And, you know, when I'm promoting shows, I definitely feel the pressure of like, okay, I kind of got to show these kids what's up. You know, I got to show them what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I have shows coming up, y'all probably all be seeing the shit. Like I lit a lit, I lit a stack of paper on fire and lit a cigarette with it to promote right. a show. I'm, you know, trying to show people by I lead by example in a sense, you know, but that's not, you have to be doing all the things really, if you want to be effective and have a great turnout. Um, and it's hard in my role too, because sometimes you have to like chime in with people and be like, Hey, can you like, it's like, what's the meme where it's like, do something. You're like poking (laughs) a stick. Like, can you, you don't want to, you don't want to be an asshole, but you do have to poke people to, to do shit. Sometimes, sometimes they need a little bit of the fire, underneath them so that they are like they'll deliver on what we need as Mm -hmm. a business you know it's not band practice it's not a place for you to just like think that people saw your name on a flyer six months ago and are still gonna remember when the basement posted that this band is happening a friend of mine said something really poignant which is um remember whose show it is no one's coming to the basement to see the basement. Right. You know, people are there to see you on stage. And I try to make a really good point of like driving that home to people that do well, you know, because people are very gracious, you know, and they're very kind about playing the room. But I, I, I've told a lot of people this, like 
a music venue is an empty space. It's a room with speakers and a PA and a drum set sometimes and a sound guy, but it's a reflection of the artist on stage and what they put into it and what they're capable of. And we don't exist without that person. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're dealing with them, you have to keep that in mind, even if it's like not working out for them, you know, like again, now that I've been playing shows, I have like a little bit more empathy than I did before about, seeing someone maybe trying to do all the things right and it's still not working, you know, like it's a bad place to be. It's a rough place to be. And the music, the musicians that find long-term success are the ones that can persevere through those moments. Um, yeah, not to be like a downer, but that's just part of it too. I think there are a lot of, um, this is more just like general rock concert things, but there are some things about shows that just are always going to be a thing about shows. What do you mean? Um, a perfect example is the 30 minutes to an hour after the doors open. Mm -hmm. That's always going to be a lot of pressure and that's always going to feel fucking crazy because you're like shit doors are where it's six 30. All of a sudden, no one's here. All the imposter syndrome kicks in all the like (laughs) life. You're like having your life flash before your eyes and questioning every decision (laughs) that led you to this point. I realized this when we started the first installment of Get Happier Fridays. Right. Because there's about an hour in between doors and the show starting. Okay, so also please tell our listeners what Get Happier Friday is. Uh, shout out Get Happier Friday. It's starting up in September if this makes it before September. Um, it's this will be out before September. September 1st through October 20th, baby. Um, it's an outdoor concert series that was born out of covid mm-hmm. post covid we realized that people felt much more comfortable at outdoor events than they felt in a small place like the basement um and outdoor shows at the basement are somewhat of a tradition in nashville they stem from like americana fest and record store day and large events being held in that space outdoors that's like a very old school nashville thing but this is the first time that we've ever had like a prolonged series of those concerts um and they're in the parking lot. We have food trucks. It's very, like, carefully curated by myself and Grimy. We really try to make it, like, a greatest hits of the basement. Like, right. who are the bands that we've been working with over the last year that we see something in um, and are really excited about? Um, m- some of them have great draws. Some of them we're just excited for people to see. Um, people are, get excited about something that's just a little bit different. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. they, they love the basement, but... Oh man, this it's like a little festival. Mm-hmm. It's a little festival outside, mm-hmm. and it's done by like nine o'clock, nine thirty. So there's still like time to do other shit on a right. Friday night. Go home and go to bed on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're that type, or if you're the type that's like, I got to be at a headlining set at ten p.m. Like you can, you can make it. You can do both. And they're free, and they're just a great fucking hang. Honestly, if any of y'all are listening, being like, I want to check that out. Like, follow us on social media. We will post about it once or twice. <laughs> um, so I actually saw you booked one of my favorite bands for Get Happier Fridays. Who's that? Uh, I believe at the end of September called Multi Ultra. Yes. Those guys yeah, were man. on our podcast here about a month and a half nice. ago. Yeah. Shout out they to Derek rock. and all those guys. Yeah. And one of the things I talked with them about is that I didn't, they were like, they didn't find me. Like they didn't pitch to me to play a tour stop show and I hadn't seen them play anywhere. And I was like, God, I got to have that band. I found nice. them because... They relentlessly put their stickers up everywhere. Hmm. 
I saw their multi ultra sticker nice. in every dive bar urinal in this town. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what the fuck is multi ultra? And I Google searched it and I was like, this band rocks. Good work, boys. So we were talking about kind of what you were saying a minute ago. Things like that, I call it like analog promotion, still mm-hmm. works. Yeah. Print, stickers, things, they still work. Physical presence says a lot. Those boys do a really good job of covering all their bases for shows. Um, like staying invested in the community, going out and supporting other people, yes, but also they drum the social media stuff really hard. Yep. Which is the most visible thing, right? Like it's not always the most effective, but it's showing me as the representative of the venue that you're like putting it out there right. to your fans. The option to be seen. Yeah. Because awareness is the main thing that will bring people out to a show. It's not so much like sometimes people just don't have it on their radar quite. Yep. People you know? don't know that something's for sale. They don't know how to buy it. I've noticed in promoting my own shows that a lot of the way of getting people to actually show up is just like having them putting in their fucking calendar. Yep. You know, cause you might have a conversation with someone and then they walk away and they'll forget about it, you know, an hour later. I start inviting my friends to special shows like stuff at the basement six, eight weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like, hey, yada, yada, yada. This show is happening. Tickets, five dollars. It's like, hey, what are you doing on Sunday the 27th? Like, right, yeah. you want to hang out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You doing anything? Come hang out. Nice. And it's it really is that one person at a time mm-hmm. boots on the ground stuff that's so effective mm-hmm. and why it shouldn't be. It shouldn't only be. This is my... I'm trying to go viral on Instagram. Well, another thing that you and I should probably talk about, because it's something that we talk about all the time, is like oversaturation. Yep. And when you get to the point where... Playing too much. Yes. Bands, listen. We're all for opportunity, you know, like... But you have to be aware of what you're signing up for when you Mm -hmm. accept to do a show or when you pitch yourself to do a show. Like, again, a basement, the basement is a reflection of your efforts and we're an empty space. We need y'all to fill the room. You know, we're not located on Broadway. We don't have walk up traffic. Um, We're counting on you to bring the people to the room. And, you know, if you have a show at the basement on a Saturday, but the week before you're playing another venue on a Thursday, it's going to be really difficult for you to convince anyone to see you both times. Yep. So you're splitting your audience. And again, I understand the opportunities will arise and sometimes they're worth taking, but you can even be effective in communicating that with someone, you know, like, Hey, like I'm interested in playing sometime. Here are the other shows that I have going on. If you ever need an opener or if I could hop on a new faces night, or if I can do, you know, something a little bit less pressure, just tell me that, right. You know, if, all of a sudden you have an offer to open for an amazing band at like Brooklyn bowl. I'm not going to get upset. Right. You know, you took the time to check in with me, you know, and this is a huge pet peeve between bookers, promoters, like be aware. We don't do radius clauses. Mm -hmm. It would be too ineffective. I would be canceling shows every week, Yep. but I do pay attention and I will keep it in mind the next time your name comes up in a conversation, you know, like, oh, man, I really want to work with this person, but they just can't get their shit together. Right. And like if somebody wants to play a 
a Saturday night headline show at the basement, you're going to say, well, do you have a draw? Do you have a ticket to draw? Did you already play New Faces Night? And then you can go back if they did and say how many people were here mm-hmm. for New Faces Night. And you have the that like data that can validate whether or not you think somebody might be a good addition to a lineup. It's it's more than just I like your music. Your music's good. Like mm-hmm. you do have a job to do and your job is to sell tickets. And to spin it in like a positive way and to give someone some credit that is due. There's a band that I work with called Jive Talk. Okay. And they proved to be very consistent in their promotion. Like they played a new faces night and I actually wasn't at that new faces night, but I got a bunch of texts from my staff being like, dude, holy shit. Jive talk is so fucking good. You got to check them out. So I booked them for an indoor show and started following them. They're friends of mine. Um, and I noticed that they were promoting hard as fuck. Like they were really doing a good job of hitting the pavement and doing the social media and doing all, all the things that a promoter of a venue wants to see. So they had, you know, maybe a hundred tickets, I think at that show. And, um, we were asked to book a stage at tomato fest. And I was like, who better to give the opportunity to than someone that's been working hard as fuck. So book them on tomato fest. And then we kicked up, get happier Fridays. And we were like, okay, who are some bands that we really like a lot that are working really hard to make it happen. I was like, drive talk, man. Like they've, and you love to reward people who you mm-hmm. see who care. Absolutely. And if I'm going to put my neck out on the line, like I want someone that's going to give a shit. Yeah. So when the opportunity arose to book at Basement East, I was like, I know exactly who I'm going to call. That's cool. Yeah. And it was a proven track record of them giving a shit and them doing a good job of promoting shows. And um, I was talking to their drummer, Phil, who does a lot of their booking. He did a lot of their booking at their time. I don't know if they have an agent now. I don't think so. Um, and he would call me with questions and stuff like all the time. And he'd be like, I'm sorry if this is annoying. And I'm like, yo, you're not annoying me. I'm actually really reassured that you're like asking me all of these you things. You want to know what can I do better? Exactly. You're showing me. And he was like, yeah, we're just like, you know, kind of nervous about playing the big room. And I was like, dude, but that's why I picked y'all. Yep. That's exactly why I chose y'all. Cause if I picked someone that was too cool for school and didn't give a shit, mm-hmm. I'd be sweating it too. Yep. Um, I know you've I know you've probably met those bands before. You've probably had them booked mm-hmm. and then you see them not give a shit and then it makes you not give a shit. Mm-hmm. Which it sound that sounds really like depressing, but that's why we love to work with people who care so much. Mm-hmm. And it's why the word that we've brought up, you've brought up several times is community. Mm-hmm. Building that community, whoever it is, wherever it is, is so important. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love the people who are part of the like tour stop community is because they just want to be there for their friends. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not about being big kid on the block. It's about letting everybody be big kid on the block. Sometimes I feel you. Yeah. And that's super cool. Getting to be that, like the conduit to help people make friends. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Oh yeah. That's a great feeling. Like I love hearing stories about, um, you know, I played New Faces night and then I met my manager. I met someone that wound up cutting one of my songs that I played that night. Or um, We get really excited when there's someone on the lineup that just crushes it. Like, we get really stoked to see that. Grimy has hosted New Faces night in Nashville for 20 years. Wow. Every, every Tuesday every night. Tuesday. Every Tuesday night for 20 years. And, like, 
I'm sorry, but there's a lot of people on New Faces Night that are not great. <laughs> but he still manages to come every week and have enthusiasm because you do find people that are just so great. Who's an example? The Hidden Gems. I mean, Drive Talk is one that I just mentioned, but another one that I would shout out is Liv Green. Um, she came and played a New Faces Night. It must have been shortly after the pandemic lifted. And Grimy came out the door and was like, who the fuck is this, Gil? <laughs> who the fuck did, Who the fuck is that? She's writing amazing music. She just got here. She doesn't know anyone. That's dope. Yeah. And, you know, we've continued that relationship with Liv and she's grown a lot since then. And it's been really cool to see that early on and be like, oh, there's definitely something special here. And then seeing, again, like other people kind of validate that. And, you know, it's like, that's what it's all about, man. It's a good point. It's what it's all about. I could shout out a few other people. Like, please do, please do. I know you know ben a lot Chapman of good, a lot of good bands. Ben Chapman and Co. Um, they did Peach Jam. Peach Jam. Shout out to Peach Jam, man. Those are my motherfucking boys right there, dude. So Peach Jam, for those who don't live in Nashville, was a monthly residency that happened all of 2022. Yep, on the second Wednesday of every month, um, and that's a difficult ask for a band. To deliver a good show once a month in town, that's tough. Talk about like not trying to butcher your own audience. Mm-hmm. That's really the perfect amount for someone breaking into a new market once a month. But it's still 12 shows in the same town in a year, mm-hmm. so it's difficult. But the amount of effort that Ben and his team put in has yielded great results. Because... Um, like. Ben and his team. His team is also really great. A team, you know, the managers and agents that you put in place, they can, like, really shift and make or break a situation Talk for about, you, too. Yeah, things that can make or break. Well, if you find the wrong team mm-hmm. and wind up with the wrong manager, you can find yourself getting really stuck. I have put on my Facebook several times how I feel about some people who have quote managers unquote Mm. and yeah you really can shoot yourself in the foot getting the wrong person Mm -hmm. but just to stay on the positive if you find the right person finding the right person that can help you astronomically absolutely somebody who's not just invested in making money but like making Mm -hmm. sure that like you're happy with their performance and that you're happy doing what they're trying to help you with and that you like build you know and you don't just stay stagnant but they're passionate about building you up because um, some managers can just capitalize on the fact that artists are not usually like business inclined, mm-hmm. but a manager that is extremely passionate about making you successful and giving you opportunities to, you know, rise that platform. That's, that's a good fucking manager. That's why you see some of these like super successful artists who've had the same manager for 30 years. Totally. It's because they find that one right person who mm-hmm. really cares. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why shows like new faces night are so important. Cause you really might find that person who loves your music, mm-hmm. your art so much. And they love you as a person so much. They're like, and how can I help a really good manager? I'm going to go back to Ben Chapman because mandolin, his manager just to like build on the community aspect of it. She's built like a community even within her roster, you know, um, she's the manager of Lainey Wilson who exploded into stardom and Mm -hmm. has been in Yellowstone and won numerous awards. And one of the first tours in Nashville right now, one of the huge in the world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, one of the first tours that she did, she brought Meg McCree 
and Ben Chapman with her, wow. which is like all Mandolin's clients on one tour together. And that's like a great way of like dropping the ladder down to help right. someone, you know, and Ben's career has gone really quickly since then. So is Meg's and like, um, they've done, they make me really proud. Honestly, I've had a few like full circle moments with them specifically. Um, cause again, like once a month, Having a show once a month in Nashville is a difficult ask, um, but it became the show that we look forward to every single month because his community was there. You know, like we got to know his friends and his family, and they became like close they to the menu. Your friends and your family, and they became yeah, exactly, and they became you know part of the basement community right. as well. And you know, um, this next one that we have coming up, this next Peach Jam, is on September twentieth. And he has J.D. Clayton, Meg McCree, Lainey Wilson. Tickets for sale now. I think the pre-sale sold out. No. Because it's going to be in the parking lot, but um, there's a weather contingency, so we have to release the additional tickets on day of show. I also have to factor in, um, like, pass holders for Americana Fest. Like, they get priority entry for pretty much everyone, so I had to allocate a certain number of tickets just to them. Um, But it's going to be in the parking lot, and... um, he did his last one in the parking lot, and there were about 350 people there, which is that more is September than... September the 20th? Um, yeah, that's September the 20th coming up. His last one was in June, and it was really fucking awesome to see 350 people there to see Ben and his crew. Wow. You know, like, his show went from, like, 75 to 100. I think the last one sold out. And it just became a very consistent rise. And he was smart. He pulled back after that. You know, he's busier now than he was before. But now we do Peach Jam once every three months because it's building. And um, make it a big deal. You know, most major artists that you see, the Taylor Swifts, the Beyonce's of the world, they play a city once a year. Once a year. That's a trajectory for a band, Mm -hmm. you know, consistently at first. We all have flexibility. We understand what it's like to move to a place and not know anyone. But then when you have a small audience to build it, you have to pull back a little bit and be a little bit more selective about what you're deciding to play. And you have to communicate with the promoters so they're not pissed at you. Like, I get it if this is just like a show you have during the month, but... um, Don't just let it be just another one. Yeah. Or let me know that. Right. Be like, hey, man, I've got this show coming up that I really need to make sure that I'm focused on, but I'm happy to open. Right. I'll be like, I'll either be like, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Or I'll be like, I really appreciate that, but we should probably find someone else. But either way, it's a clear decision. Yeah. And I I know that a lot of artists, they get so uh, maybe maybe hurt is the wrong word, but their their feelings get hurt when you decline a show because, Mm. of course, they want to play. Sometimes people really want to have it, but. Um, you're, I don't want to say doing them a favor, but you want to set a show up for success. And it's really great that some of these acts are coming at it from the side of, Hey, maybe since I have this other thing, do you think that this is a good idea? Because you've asked me that. Do you think this is a good idea? Yeah. And it's great to know that that line of communication is open. Mm-hmm. Declining a show, man, that's a tough thing, especially at the basement, because it's like, community oriented and small i try my best to find a space for everyone Mm -hmm. because you can be too guarded in that room 
and it is important for everyone to have a place to play no matter what they sound like no matter what they look like everyone should be able to find a place to play and i really think that i do a good job of finding a place for people um but yeah some of y'all just need to learn to take no for an answer um it's funny i mean the agents honestly are the ones that have the hardest time hearing no (laughs) to be completely frank like they are the ones that get the most upset if i tell a local band no they'll be like okay i understand um but an agent will like grill my ass and be like blah 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 and they may be right they may be wrong but it's funny to me because like yo you've ever had agents or artists be like well fuck you for not booking me have you ever had that come up absolutely all the time Absolutely. And I've learned how I've learned that I need to that be, makes you want to book them. Well, no, here's the thing. <laughs> I have to maintain respect. Even if I'm telling someone that I'm not interested. Right. Like you have to have dignity for people and you can't be an asshole about it. Like that's just not a good place to come from at all. You know, being like ego driven and being like, ah, oh, no, no, I'm never, never. And I don't want to dwell on the negatives, but are there like, I'm sure there are pitfalls that you see artists regularly or consistently making that you can tell the artists listening now that they could maybe avoid. And it could really just come down to simple things that they're putting into an email or not including in an email that that should or shouldn't be, if you can think of any example off the top. Things to avoid. Definitely being conscious of how often you're playing in your hometown and communicating that with whoever is on the receiving end of your show, because that's going to inform their decision-making a lot. Um, I mean, that's like the biggest pet peeve I would say. Um, This isn't so much of a problem in Nashville, but be conscious of how you treat people. Mm -hmm. This is something that I had to remind myself of at some point. Like there's a way to be respectful when you're telling something, someone something they don't want to hear and there's a line you can cross where you're being too rude about it, you know? Because um, I know you can also see the people who are only kissing your ass because they want something versus the people who are, like, talking to you because they want to know how your day was personally. Well, there's just, like, a number of things that, like, you have to handle with care because you're dealing with a musician. You're dealing with someone that is being extremely vulnerable. Right. And allowing a part of their soul to be seen. So even if you're telling someone no, you have to do it in a way that is respectful because no one wants to deal with an asshole. Right. Um, And in Nashville, I don't think that you'll make it very far if you are treating people that way. I think that it's such a small community that like the people that find success are usually the people that uplift the people around them. If you are kind of the people that you work with, it's it's the same reason why you were just talking about why you want to work with the people on tomato fest and get happier Fridays because people, you like working with nice people. Mm-hmm. And if you have an opportunity or if somebody's like, do you have any good recommendations? You're like, you're immediately going to go to the nice people, mm-hmm. the easy to work with people. Well, the, for recommendations, that's a different subject. Like, one of the more annoying questions that I get frequently is, can I open up for this band at Basement East? So let me just decipher that for anyone that's listening. Um, 
the people that are in charge of who opens those shows are the agents and the managers of the headliner. You don't get a say. They're contractually um, empowered to pick who that person is. Right. The venue is not allowed to just put someone on there. Um, They have to be approved by booking and by management. That being said, nine out of ten times, a tour is traveling as a package. So they may have different openers in different markets based on Mm -hmm. the regionality of where they're going, but nine out of ten times, the show shows up to the venue complete. The band Camino is not booking the basement east and then asking who can open for them. Right. And that's all been predetermined. They're from here. Like they are a Nashville band. So if they're going to play the basement east, yeah, they're going to know bands in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, that one out of 10 times where they reach out to the venue or specifically in this case to me to say, hey, who's a good fit to open the show? First question that I'm going to ask myself is who fits the bill sonically? Who sounds like this band and would make sense on this bill? Because if I don't have the answer to that, then I'm screwed to begin with. You're not going to book a hip hop act to open for a country artist. Well, me personally, (laughs) I would. But if I were in this situation where it's like a (laughs) bigger client playing the bigger room and they want a band to open for them, I probably wouldn't put my reputation out there to say, um, hey, you should book this polka artist open for this metal band or whatever the situation may be. Like my first thought is like, who sounds congruent with this headliner? And then my second question is who's proven to me that if I stick my neck out for them, they'll make me proud. Right. You know, like who's done the work on their own for their own shows, because those are the people that I want to give the opportunity to not necessarily someone that the Ben Chapman's, the Ben Chapman's exactly the people that have proven success and proven that they give a shit right. are going to get the first call because first they're going to add to the show because I know their work ethic. And if I'm going to recommend someone like I'm putting my reputation out there too. I, I have kind of a mixed bag between the uh, people asking for recommendations and people offering recommendations hmm. because of how, because of the, I'm kind of on a different side, so I book so many shows all of the time, like 150 a year. I'm what I try to do is like book different communities at different places so that they're not like if I book the, for example, like the Gabe Lee squad, Mm -hmm. they're just going to the Gabe Lee squad show. I'm not booking Gabe Lee with a bunch of strangers. Mm -hmm. Like I try to book the trend groups together. So with booking so many shows, I do get people asking for like, hey, do you have any recommendations? And yes, I do, because I have the people who I trust as well. But then every now and then people will say, well, I have a recommendation for you. You should book this person. And you probably get those as well. All the time. And some people really are bad at recommending their friends. But it makes the ones that are good at recommending their friends so much cooler Mm -hmm. because you get to discover someone you might not have known about. Mm -hmm. And then you get to all of a sudden realize, damn, okay, Ben Chapman's got a really good ear for other good music. And then it makes you want to fall deeper into their rabbit hole. Yeah. Yes. 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 Who else is part of their bubble? So an example that I can think of specifically is a guy named Chris Estes. Chris Estes 
is a photographer who goes to a bunch of shows and has photographed some really amazing people at Basement, Basement East. He travels and he has immaculate taste in music. And I learned this because I was a door guy. And every time I would show up to work, Chris Estes would be there at like 5 p.m. before we got there with his camera, like ready to come in. That's cool. And I started noticing this guy is at every single fucking amazing show. Every single time I see him, it's a great fucking show. And I was like, I need to pay attention to like what you're listening to, bud, because like you have great taste. And (laughs) I call him a showman. Yeah. Like an omen for a good show. Um, and yeah, those, those types of people are great for a talent buyer because I'm only going to find so much on my own. You know, you need those people to be like, Hey, you need to check this out. Cause or, they get to be boots on the ground for you when you can't be boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem generally with people recommending an artist to me. Mm-hmm. I'll make the ultimate call on what I think, but I would prefer if you see a band and you're blown away by it, I definitely want to know about it. Um, I've had great success with that. Um, That's one of the reasons why I appreciate the level of trust you've given me personally mm -hmm. for allowing me to have booked so many shows with you. Mm -hmm. Because it's, like you said, doing residencies is difficult. Absolutely. And it's, it's validating for me to know that you have given me that level of trust when sometimes I have delivered and sometimes I have under delivered. Yeah. Any like thing done with repetition is going to be inconsistent to some effect, you know? That's part of maintaining enthusiasm is through those points of like, this was difficult, but the next one, there's another show right around the corner. Um, yeah. Residencies in particular. Some people have a little bit too much ambition with their residencies and aren't able to like quite deliver. And that's always unfortunate, but you know, I'm pretty selective about who I do give those opportunities to. Well, one of the things that I'd like to close with is the discussion of New Faces Night. We've talked about this Mm -hmm. a lot, and it's kind of the, you used the term proving ground. Could you talk a little bit about what New Faces Night is purposed for? If that's the correct way to say it. Yeah, um, and just to like uncolloquialize it for people, New Faces Night is every Tuesday night at the original basement. It's from 8 p.m. until like 11. We'll book seven bands on it. Um, it's a four, four song, or five songs, four song four set, songs. Um, four song set, and um, it's free. Um, it's usually used as a way for people to either debut new music or a new project, or if you're new to town. Because a lot of people, when they move to Nashville, just straight up don't know anyone yet. Mm-hmm. And they need places to play. And um, Grimy has run New Faces Night for 20 plus years every Tuesday night because it keeps him um, tapped into the ground floor of Nashville. And like, who's arriving? You know, who's incredible and mind blowing and just hasn't been seen by enough people yet. Um, It's also a great way to get in front of myself and him, you know, who make a lot of decisions on who gets booked in the room. And um, we really pay attention we're, I'm usually at New Faces Night too. If one of us isn't there, the other one is there, and it's is usually there both of us. Specific you look for with acts that are performing New Faces Night, or is it just a, for new a vibes face, thing? For New Faces Night, um, obviously we're looking for people that are talented and good, but we're also really looking to see how hard did you promote. You know, like how engaged is this room with your set? Because we've done it enough times now to be able to like 
figure out how well you drew, even though we're not like necessarily right. asking at the door, you know, cause we don't want people to be like keeping tally or anything, but I send it in my show offer that you don't need to keep a tally cause you can just see it visually. We're really looking for you to bring 20 to 25 peeps out. And that makes it really easy for us to consider you for more opportunities mm-hmm. in the future. Um, and off, obviously off we're looking for people that are great. You know, those are the diamonds in the rough that you get to, fortunately discover um one new faces night example that blew up is gail right she has she a, was one of mine too really you had gail as well T- taylor gail played when i think she was 14 or 15 that's what's up it's bonkers yeah and it's insane to see how quickly that all exploded for her they just skyrocket mm-hmm that's awesome. Yeah. And it's why shows like this, the new faces night are so important mm-hmm. because there's, there's not a lot of places that will allow you to play when you don't have a guaranteed, like right. 30 people, 50 people will come. Right. So it's cool that you and grimy and the team at the basement are still open to the, the idea of even just offering that to people. For sure. I think it's integral. I think it's like, part of the ecosystem you know if you don't have that ground floor for someone to start then yeah you really don't have anything for anyone to build on for people wanting to get involved in new faces night what's the most effective way to do that come to new faces night come hang i'm up there grimy's up there we do all the booking i'm not hard to find (laughs) i'm really easy to find like come again invest yourself in the community show up and support people and you know get invested in what they have going on because they can help you too um don't be annoying about it. Right. You know, I hope I'm not grumpy when you talk to me, but I'm generally pretty nice and I'll at least give you the time of, I'll at least give you the time of day in the email. I can't promise that I'll respond. I can't promise that I'll like it, but I will at least give you the time of day to listen. Cause you get probably hundreds of emails. Mm -hmm. You can't personally read and respond to everyone. If I were to personally respond to every, um, person that submitted that I wanted to reject, like if I were to literally reply to every email and say, no, thank you. First of all, that's not really a good look. Like Mm-mm. that's not really nice of me to do that. And second of all, it would be an enormous waste of time, an enormous waste of time. Like for me to actually physically respond to every single one would take so much time out of my day. So if you get left on red, you know, follow up, I'll, I'll check it. If I don't get back to you a couple of times, come to the venue and say hi, you know, and let me put a face to your name and I can like help you cut through the bullshit, but show you care. Yeah. That's what I tell people. Like just show you care. It's really the long and short of it. I think everything we've talked about is just give a shit. (laughs) And I really think that one of the like things that I've learned this year more than ever is truly, if you invest yourself in the community, the community will invest itself in you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are just as passionate about supporting your friends as you are about supporting yourself, they will get excited. If you're just as excited about a great success that your friend had at a show, they're going to be just as excited about a great success that you have at your show. And they're going to, it's just like, that's what makes Nashville, Nashville. Right. And not another city is like that sense of us uplifting each other. That's the thing that makes it feel like home to me. It's a lot of the reason why I haven't left. And you know, because you have a community that cares about you. Yeah, 14 years? I don't know. I don't even fucking know how long it's been. I moved to Murfreesboro. Shout out to Murfreesboro. 
The Murphy, the borough. I will always rep Murfreesboro. <laughs> I'm a Murfreesboro alumni. They've got themselves a nice budding music scene down there, man. Dude, I, well, it goes, it's that Murfreesboro goes in waves, but it produces really strong people. Like, I do all the booking and production advancing at OG Basement. Um, my friend Taylor Cole does all the booking and production advancing at the East Room. Mm-hmm. My friend I Megan Loveless does all the booking and production advancing and stuff at the Blue Room. And we're all fucking Murfreesboro alumni. We're That's all MTSU awesome. alumni. And like, got to represent, you know, like. It's not an accident. No. It's, it's proof that these programs work. The strong people that are passionate about those subjects and you, I don't know. I would assume that as like a professor, it'd be like, okay, this person's going to figure it out. That's cool. You know? Well, Gil, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with today? I would love to uh, talk to you about your personal music, but let's have you on again sometime and we can dive into the Gil Costello artist's career. But in short, tell us what kind of music you do, man. Uh, My music is like acoustic um, songwriter type stuff. My influences are... Death Cab for Cutie, Bright Eyes, Iron and Wine. I kind of mm-hmm. fit neatly into like the lo-fi folk kind of world. And um, yeah, follow me on Instagram, Gil Costello, G-I-L-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O. We'll have that hyperlinked in the episode description yeah. as well. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, to leave people with before I ask you the final question? Sure. Uh, music is a fucking gift. Mm-hmm. It's something that takes many forms in your life, whether you're listening, playing, booking, performing, like it's meant to be a source of fulfillment. So just always try to keep that in the forefront of your mind and um, let it let it bless you. That's a wonderful cap. Well, the last question I ask is outside of the music biz, the industry, whatever. You've been in Nashville for a long time. Do you have recommendations for maybe people who are visiting or for our friends or people who are local, just stuff to do that's, that, just, that is just Nashville, that is not the top 10 things to do on Nashville when Come you Come to Google the fucking it. basement. Go to the basement. Come to the fucking basement and fucking <laughs> hang out with Gil. He's an idiot. Um, other than that, support local music venues. Go to the East Room. Go to Exit Inn. Go to Basement East. Go to the Blue Room. Go check out some shit that's not Broadway. Do it. Yep. You will not regret it. If, dude, I do the same thing. Sometimes when I go home, I don't know any of the bands playing my local, my home local music scene. Yeah. But covers 10 bucks. I'll go out on a Friday night sometime and watch a punk rock show and be like, Fuck there yeah. is good music happening everywhere. The first thing I do when I look up a city is like, where are the venues at? Right. Where am I going to see a show? Right. I don't want to go to the, 2000 seat theater i want to go to the dive bar with the low ceilings and the pbr that's a buck 50 right (laughs) damn a buck 50 for a pbr i respect (laughs) that that is recession proof well gil thank you for coming on today my pleasure uh for the last question i said that right before where can people get in touch uh online with the basement um or find the production calendar TheBasementNashville.com has the everything you Nashville. need. Every show, every question that you have about the basement is Googleable and on our website, www.thebasementnashville.com. <laughs> My email address is on there. Everything that you need is on TheBasementNashville.com. You may look at the calendar and say, oh, there's a date available on this date. 
Um, just so you know, a little insider baseball, that may not be the case. I right. may have a show confirmed on that date that isn't announced yet. So if you're looking at the calendar, because this is kind of like a booking episode of this podcast, like um, may not have it, um, www.thebasementnashville.com. Check out The Basement Nashville. Check out The Basement East over in East Nashville. Yes, sir. Gil, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for the many nuggets of wisdom. Oh, shucks. <laughs> I'm honored to have you as a, a buddy of mine and a supporter of Tour Stop, and I appreciate you booking me for my first sold-out show ever, baby. Absolutely, man. I'll it's never forget. To have you. I wish the rest of y'all could see his dog right now because she's being super cute. She's been asleep on her back like that for like hours now. She's got her teeths out, and she just <laughs> oh, looks... Oh, does she really? She's just chilling. <laughs> well, Gil, thank you for coming my on. Pleasure. Follow Gil Costello on your Instagram and keep an eye out for Gil's next show coming out on the... Uh, when, when is your next performance? I am playing New Faces Night on August 22nd. I am playing Possum Stock on September 16th. Um, I have some cool things that are going to happen at the end of the year, hopefully. I think that's it right now. Cool, man. Gil Costello, talent buyer, booker, whatever you'd like to be called. Cool motherfucking dude. Thanks, dog. Put that in the episode description. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, thank you so much for listening to the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast this week. My name is Aaron Schilb. If you'd like to follow us, you can do so on your social media platforms at Nashville Tour Stop. You can find our full live event calendar at NashvilleTourStop.com. If you'd like to submit to play, you can do the same thing right there that Gil said. Go to the website. All the questions you could possibly have are there. But moreover, show up. Come hang, support your communities, and in the meantime, do remember that all roads lead right back here to the Nashville Tour Stop. Stop.